Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. I want you to imagine standing atop a rickety wooden tower, 83 feet high, preparing to jump, not into water. There's nothing but Mother Earth beneath you. When he was here a couple of months ago, our missionary to Vanuatu, Casey Ellis, confirmed for me that the men of Pentecost Island, which is the island right next to their island of Ambrin, the men of Pentecost Island still practice a rite of passage called land diving. When a boy is ready to become a man, he dives in the presence of his elders, relying only on their expertise without any mathematical calculations whatsoever. The elders determine what length vines they should get out of the, the jungle based on the jumper's height and weight, and they tie these vines, one to each ankle, uh, calculated to uh, keep the young man from smashing into the earth. This is, by the way, where bungee jumping got its start. Some Westerners saw the Pentecost Islanders doing this and thought they could make some money off of it, so that's where bungee jumping comes from. But you climb to the top of this tower, the, the vines are tied around your ankles, and then the boy is instructed to cross his arms over his chest to prevent him from damaging his hands by having them hit the ground. Um, he is instructed to tuck in his head because the goal is that as he descends, his shoulders would barely brush the ground. Uh, during the dive, the jumper can reach speeds of up to 45 miles an hour, risking injuries like, of course, concussion and broken neck. Believe it or not, the boy's mother stands at the base of the tile, uh, tower holding uh, the boy's favorite childhood item, like maybe a favorite blankie or something. And then the boy jumps, and if he completes his jump successfully, the mother throws the item away to signify that he has passed from boyhood to manhood. And just like that, he is considered a man. Can you imagine the terror of going through something like that? I mean, what if the elders made your vines just a couple of inches too long? You know, like, hey, this kid's been really bratty. Let's show him, you know? Uh, what if you forget to cross your arms or tuck in your head? But I guess the good thing is if you survive, no one will ever again doubt your manhood. Now, becoming a man or a woman, for that matter, in our culture is much more complex. It doesn't happen in a moment, and you never quite know exactly when you've arrived. There is no magic moment. There are a lot of milestones that you must pass on your way. You gotta get your driver's license, 
uh, graduate from high school, get your first real job, move out of your parents' house and get a place of your own, get all your junk out of your parents' basement. All of those things are important milestones on the way, but at what point do you actually reach maturity? In our culture, nobody can quite tell you when that happens, when you're mature enough to be considered an adult. But one thing is for sure, that is that you must take steps toward maturity or you'll never get there. The same thing could be said of the Christian life. Nobody knows for sure when you as a follower of Jesus Christ become a mature Christian. Nobody but God, I suppose, is fit to say you've arrived. But one thing is for sure, there are certain steps toward maturity that every believer must take or you'll never get there. And every believer has got to grow. You can't stay a baby Christian forever. It's just not healthy. If you want to live the Christian life to the full, you've got to take steps toward maturity. And if you want to be truly effective, for instance, as a pastor, your people should be able to say, Pastor, we've seen you grow. After instructing Timothy, a young pastor, on how to protect the church at Ephesus from false teaching and giving instruction about how people should behave when they come to church, giving further instruction about how he should go about selecting leaders to oversee the work of the church, Paul now turns to Timothy with some personal words of advice. Timothy's success as a young pastor is largely going to be a matter of his maturity. He shouldn't be content to remain as he is, but he needs to continue to grow. And Paul's purpose in these verses is to help Timothy understand what steps he must take if he is to grow to maturity. Inasmuch as every Christian has got to grow, we all should listen in on Paul's advice to Timothy because the steps to maturity Paul lays out for Timothy here in 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 16 are the steps we also must take if we are to grow as believers. So here's how Paul puts it to Timothy, beginning in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have set our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. A Christian has got to grow. And I want you to consider with me three steps to maturity that Paul lays out for us in this passage. The first step to maturity is this. We must have a proper diet. If you're going to grow to maturity in Christ, you've got to have a proper diet. 
Now, Paul has just warned Timothy in earlier verses about how the later it gets in history, the more vigilant we'll need to be about false teaching, and we talked about that last time. And Paul says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. If you warn people about these things that I've just written about, you'll be a good and faithful servant. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. What will make Timothy most effective in protecting the flock at Ephesus against false teachers is that he himself is trained up in, literally, being nourished up in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine, the good teaching that he has followed. That word trained in, in verse 6, I think is kind of an unfortunate translation in this particular English translation of the, of the Bible. I think that better it should be translated being nourished up in the words of the faith and of the good teaching that he has followed. The word trained in there is a word that refers to the nourishment of a child. And the verb tense implies the nourishment is ongoing. And so one of the English translations, I think, puts it best of all when it says, constantly nourished on the words of the faith. Paul is emphasizing the need to take in that which has real nutritional value for your growth as a follower of Jesus. We need to be constantly nourished on the words of the faith. Now, where are you going to find the words of the faith? Well, Principally, you're going to find them in the Bible, in God's Word, and secondarily, in the faithful preaching and teaching of Scripture. And that's likely what Paul is referring to when he says that you're to be constantly nourished in the words of the faith and of the good teaching, the good doctrine that you have followed. He's probably referring to the teaching that he himself has given Timothy, or perhaps he's referring also to the teaching that Timothy received from his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. Good teaching has been formational in Timothy's life, and he's to continue in it. And I think what that says to us is that we need to be sure to be reading and meditating on God's Word for ourselves on a regular basis. We need to be reading the Scripture together at home and listening to good Bible-based preaching and participating in groups and classes where the Scriptures are being faithfully taught. Don't engage in the mere academic study of the Scripture, filling your head with Bible knowledge. When you are nourished by your food, you take it in, you digest it, and then it gives you power to live. You live by it. The same is true with God's Word. We're to take it in. We're to really digest it and then live by it, live out the truths of God's Word. It gives us power for, for living. Let the truth of Scripture become your steady diet. But you know as well as I do how hard it is to, you know, determine that you're going to eat healthy. And so with every good intention, you go to the grocery store and you start filling your grocery basket with fruits and vegetables and all kinds of good things. You're, you're going you're to start eating different. So you bring home all these fruits and vegetables and you, you put them away in your refrigerator. But you fail to empty your pantry and your cupboards and your freezer of things like, you know, Fritos and Oreos and that Moose Tracks ice cream that's in the freezer calling out to you. And, and so what do you end up doing? In the next week or so, you, you finish off that bag of Fritos and that pack of Oreos and you eat the whole half gallon of Moose Tracks. And, and, and while you're doing all that, all, all those good fruits and vegetables are kind of going bad in your refrigerator. You end up throwing a whole bunch of them out. 
Yeah, some of you are giggling because you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> the point is, a proper diet demands not only that you take in the good stuff, but that you eliminate the bad stuff. We need to be constantly nourished in the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you followed, and, he goes on to say in verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Resist taking in the junk food philosophies of the world. That, that command, have nothing to do with, is, is a command that denotes a strong refusal. Have nothing to do with irrelevant, silly myths, or literally profane and old womanish myths, or godless myths and old wives' tales. These are phrases that were used by first century philosophers to mock the beliefs of the gullible, which today would be about, what, 90% of what you see on social media? The junk food philosophies of the world are delicious and delightful to dwell upon, filling us with empty calories, but never building us up and leaving little room for the word of God in our lives. I came across a graphic recently on a blog called broadbandsearch.net, and it took the average span of a person's life, 70-some years, and it calculated how many years of a 70-something year life would be spent in various activities. And so beginning from the top bar, it says that you spend one year and eight months doing housework. You spend one year and 11 months socializing. That's kind of sad when you think about it. In a 70-something span of, of years, you spend less than two years socializing. Two years and two months shopping, which is about two years and two months, months more than I need. Uh, three years and seven months eating and drinking. Six years and eight months using social media. Eight years and four months watching TV. Now, you take those two together social media and watching TV, and that's 15 years of the average person's life. By the way, that last bar on the bottom is uh, sleeping. That's 26 years and five months, about a third of your life. But think about that. 15 years of an average lifetime spent using social media and watching TV. Now, let's suppose you're a devout follower of Jesus. You're a devout Christian. And what, we would, what would we expect of a devout Christian? Well, at least an hour a week in church. Maybe another hour a week attending a, a class or a Bible study. And then we'd expect maybe another, what, three hours a week that, that you might spend in personal devotions, reading the Bible, praying, maybe watching a YouTube a sermon or listening to a sermon on the radio. So that comes to about five hours a week. At five hours a week over a lifetime, that amounts to about a little less than two years. That means that even devout Christians could take in more than seven times junk food philosophies than nourishment in God's Word. So it begs the question, what's your diet like? Do you have a healthy intake of God's Word in your life? Are you being constantly nourished on the words of the faith and the good teaching you have received, but, you know, what else are you filling up on? And what specific steps do you need to take so that you have nothing to do with irrelevant, silly myths? Because a Christian has got to grow. And the first step to maturity in the Christian life is that we need to have a proper diet. Here's step number two to maturity in Christ. We must have a proper diet, and secondly, we must get the right exercise. We must get the right exercise. 
He says, have nothing to do with irrelevant, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Now, this is a different word than the word that's translated train in verse 6. If you, don't have a proper, if you have a proper diet, but you don't get the right amount of exercise, you will grow, but you won't be fit, right? You need not just a proper diet, but the right kind of exercise. And so Paul says, train yourself. And the word for train here in Greek is gymnadze, from which we get our English word gymnasium. This is a word that has to do with strong effort, effort exerted toward a goal, as one might get on the road and train for a marathon, or get into the gym and train for a weightlifting competition. The goal might be to build endurance, or the goal might be to build muscle mass. In this case, the goal is to obtain godliness. Now, Paul speaks of the importance of godliness nine different times in these six chapters of his little letter to Timothy. But what is it? Well, the word godliness has to do with reverent devotion to God. It's giving God his due place in our lives and living accordingly. In, in his letter to Timothy, Paul connects godliness to things like living a peaceful, quiet, and dignified life that honors God. It's the demeanor of a Christian woman who does good works. That's godly. It's the good behavior of children who care for their widowed mother. That's a godly thing to do. It's agreeing with the teachings of Jesus it's a contentment that comes from knowing God will provide for us. Godliness is a life well-lived in reverent dependence on God. And Paul is saying, train yourself to live like that. So practically speaking, what does that look like? What does that kind of training in godliness look like? What does it look like to get in God's gym and, and work out so that you become spiritually fit? Well, again, I think one of the disciplines that we need in training ourselves to be godly is, is to be reading the scriptures and meditating upon them. How can you know what God wants for your life if you're not in, in the book? This is where you're going to find out what pleases him. Uh, you need to be memorizing scripture. You know, David said in the Psalms, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's when we memorize God's word uh, that we take the scriptures with us wherever we go, and it's more easily or readily available to the Holy Spirit to call to our attention, to bring to mind in any given situation so that we know how we should respond, how we should live in the midst of that situation. Read God's word, memorize God's word, pray. The discipline of daily prayer is an act of surrender whereby you invite God's spirit to live his life through you, to empower you, to produce his fruit in you. And then serve. Service is a way that we, we exercise ourselves in godliness. Get involved in helping to do the work of ministry. That's another way to build your spiritual muscles. And then be in fellowship with other believers. It's when you work out with others. Not only do they help you and give you pointers and encourage you, but you can encourage them to keep going. It's a lot easier to do when you're doing it with others. And you might be saying, well, that all sounds like a lot of work. Why would I want to do that? And Paul would respond by saying, look, the results you get are even better than what you get from going to the gym. Verse 8 says, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in 
every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance. There must have been a saying current in Paul's day that said something like, you know, bodily training is a value, kind of like we would say, no pain, no gain. And a lot of people apparently believe that, even today, or Planet Fitness next door wouldn't stay in business. But Paul puts a new twist on that old saying, and he says, yeah, bodily training is of some value, but training in godliness has the most value of all. Bodily training gets you a healthier earth suit to take you through life. But training in godliness not only makes for a better life here and now, but also puts you in good stead for the life to come. Physical fitness may give you a buff body, but spiritual discipline will make of you a beautiful soul. You can't take a buff body with you when you die, but not even death can rob you of the beauty of a soul that thrives in dependence on God. It's worth the effort, Paul says, verse 10, for to this, we end, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Just as some get in the gym and toil for physical fitness, Paul says, we labor and strive. We give every ounce of our strength for this, that we might grow in godliness. So how is your training program coming? Are you giving yourself to those disciplines that will enable you to become spiritually fit, to grow in godliness? Have you considered that you might need a personal trainer, not for the gym, but for your walk with God, a godly mentor who can show you the ropes and, and encourage you, give you a pep talk along the way. We've got a number of people here at Bayside who are trained to be discipleship coaches. And if you'd like to know more about that, Pastor Joe can help you get connected to one. You'll find that it's worth the effort. Paul says, to this end, we toil and strive not to get in good with God because we are already confident of our salvation. We already belong to him and, and we want to be like him. Legalism says, keep the rules so God won't be mad at you. Grace says, you've been saved by God's grace through faith in Christ and now you get to become like Jesus himself. God has made every provision for you to grow in Christ-likeness. Who wouldn't want that? And to that end, we read the scriptures and we memorize the scriptures and we pray and we serve and we fellowship. And if you do that long enough, do it like 50 years or so, I can tell you, I'd hate to think what I'd look like today, my soul would look like if I hadn't gotten all that exercise. And I haven't arrived, but I sure have grown. And I've watched a whole lot of you grow in the last 12 years. I can tell you that a lot of you look a lot more like Jesus today than you did 12 years ago because you've been getting a proper diet. You've been getting the right exercise. But then there's the third step that every Christian needs to take if they're to grow in Christ-likeness, and that is that we must learn to accept responsibility. We must learn to accept responsibility. That's part of growing up too, isn't it? Yeah, we probably would all question the maturity of a 35-year-old man who has no job but lives in his parents' basement playing video games all day. He might, you know, physically be a man, but we would question whether he's truly grown uh, to adulthood. In contrast, I'm proud of my 15-year-old grandson, Ethan. We missed him a couple of weeks ago when his family came to spend a few days with us in Ocean City, and Ethan wasn't there because 
he stayed home and put in his first full week of work as a full-time camp counselor at a local day camp. He chose to punch the clock instead of spend his money on the boardwalk because he's saving up for next summer when he hopes to go with his choir to Europe. He's learning to accept responsibility. It's the immature who shirk responsibility. So Paul reminds the young pastor Timothy not to shirk his responsibilities. He says, Timothy, if you want people to take you seriously, don't neglect these things. Pay attention to these things. The responsibilities that Timothy has in particular were related to his work as, as a pastor. And so Paul says in verse 11, command and teach these things. Everything that Paul has been instructing Timothy in this letter, Timothy is to teach the church at Ephesus in an authoritative way. He's saying, Timothy, don't be afraid to take charge. Teach these things. Command and teach. Take charge of the flock the way a, a shepherd would, would lead his flock. But, but what if they don't take me seriously, Timothy might say. Because most of them are older than me. Paul can almost anticipate what Timothy might say in, in response to this exhortation. But Paul, I'm so young and, and most of those folks are older than me. How are they going to take me seriously? It's like Paul is reading in Timothy's mind. He says, let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. You know what, Timothy? It's almost inevitable that some of those folks are going to look down on you because you're so young. But here's how you turn the tables. Here's how you take the excuse away. You set the pace. You be the example. You make sure that you're growing in your Christian walk in such a way that they forget how young you are. You set the pace in your speech, in your conduct, in, in the way you love, in, in the way you demonstrate faith, and in the purity of your life as a follower of Jesus. It's hard to believe it was almost 40 years ago that I candidated to become the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Newtown, Pennsylvania. I was all of 28 years old, candidating to become the senior pastor of, a, of an 80-something-year-old church. And uh, I went there in September, and I, I preached a couple of times, and the pulpit committee got some feedback, and they said, yeah, we like his preaching, but he's so young. He's so young. And the search committee chairman said, uh, well, we want you to come back and candidate, but you've got to understand, this is the concern that people have. They're, they're concerned about how young you are. And I thought to myself, what are they talking about? I'm 28 years old. I've got four years' experience as a senior, as, as a pastor. Uh, and now I look back and I say, 28 years old, what were they thinking? <laughs> but I went back in November to preach the sermon as a candidate, now an official candidate, and this is the text I preached. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and life and purity. You might think, wow, that was brassy. But actually, the way I preached it was to put the responsibility on myself. As if to say, you look, I, I know that most everybody here is older than me, and you're likely to question my youthfulness. I'm going to ask you to suspend looking down on me for my youth, but I also promise to take responsibility for setting you an example by the way I live my life. Well, they voted to call me. And I guess it worked out okay because I was their pastor for the next 23 years. Wow. 
One thing is for sure, as we get closer to identifying my successor as lead pastor here at Bayside, and that is that whoever it is is going to be younger than me. <laughs> and someone will say, I like him, but I'm just not so sure. He's so young. And my advice to that younger pastor will be, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in life, in faith, in purity. So Paul says to Timothy, accept the responsibility that has been given to you. You set the pace, Timothy, and they'll forget how young you are. Uh, you accept the responsibility of your office. That's part of growing up in the Christian life. And the principal way Timothy is to do that is by devoting himself to using his spiritual gift of teaching, which the council of elders confirmed when they laid their hands on him at his ordination. Paul says in verse 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. And I can't help but think back to August 15th of 2021 when we had an ordination service for Pastor Ken in recognition of his giftedness to preach, the call of God on his life to ministry, his record of service among us, uh, the way he was grilled at his ordination by a council of other pastors who then recommended back to us that we proceed with his ordination. And that night, the elders of Bayside laid their hands on him and committed him in prayer to the gospel ministry. Timothy has gone through something like that, it seems, and now Paul is recalling all of that as if to say, don't be afraid, Timothy. Don't shrink back. Accept your responsibility. There's a whole body of godly men who confirm that you are gifted for this, that you are called to this. So he says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and your teaching. Devote yourself to the preaching and teaching of God's word. Let people observe your growth in godliness. Let people see you grow as a pastor and as a preacher. I think as a younger pastor, one of the greatest compliments that anyone ever paid to me was to say, Dave, we've seen you grow. We've seen you grow. That's what we all should aspire to as believers. Paul says at the end of verse 16, persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. If the pastor is growing and setting a good example, using his gifts and persevering in his ministry, that's what's best for everyone. Now we know ultimately only God can save someone. But Paul is speaking here of the awesome responsibility that a pastor has, that by the way he speaks and the way he lives his life, he can be used of God to save someone. Conversely, if he lives hypocritically or doesn't preach faithfully, it can hinder someone from trusting Christ for salvation. Paul doesn't mind putting the pressure on Timothy by reminding him of what may be at stake. He's urging Timothy to grow up in Christ by learning to accept that responsibility. How about you? Has an unwillingness to accept responsibility been stunting your growth as a Christian? Maybe as a husband or a father, it's time for you to step up and be the spiritual leader in your home that God wants you to be. Maybe as a neighbor or co-worker or a friend, it's time to step up and be that witness that God wants you to be. 
Maybe as a longtime church attender, it's time to step up and accept responsibility by serving somewhere. Or maybe as a longtime volunteer, you know it's time for you to step up once again and take responsibility to be a ministry leader. Nobody grows up by playing video games in their parents' basement. And Christians do not grow in Christ by sitting on the sidelines and shirking responsibility. Every Christian has got to grow. And it's not rocket science. You know, nobody's going to ask you to jump off an 83-foot tower to, to prove your spiritual maturity. Aren't you glad of that? But there are some basic steps we all must take. To grow up in Christ, we must all watch our diet, take in what's healthy, and lay off the junk food. Get the right kind of exercise. You know, going to the gym is good, but training to be godly is way better. Learn to accept responsibility. Don't neglect to use whatever gift God has given you to serve his church or to advance the gospel. And what if a whole bunch of us did that? What if a whole bunch of us said, I want to grow to maturity in Christ. Watch me grow. Imagine what kind of an impact we could have together for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your saving grace that you loved us so much that you gave your son to deliver us from the guilt and grip of sin, to not only make a home for us in heaven one day, but to empower us to live new lives in Christ here and now. And Lord, I'm so grateful that you have provided everything necessary for our growth in godliness. You've made a way for us, by the power of your Spirit, through the ministry of your Word, the, the encouragement of other believers, to become more and more like Jesus with every passing day. Lord, I pray that we may be a congregation full of people who are determined to grow to maturity in Christ. Help us watch our diet. Lord, I pray motivate us to get the right kind of exercise. And Lord, may we take up the responsibility that is ours to live boldly for Christ, to bear witness of his saving grace that we might together bring Jesus the glory he deserves. For it's in his name that we pray these things with thanksgiving. Amen.